Hello. Hey. Well, we wanted to start with a cold open to let you know that we're going to do a Halloween episode. Ooh, spooky. (laughs) I'm so excited. So we hope you'll join us on the 31st. Yes. Yes. It'll be a kind of a two-part episode. All in in one one episode. In one episode. Something kind of spooky. Halloween related. And one more true crime related. Yes. I'm super excited. Awesome. So if you join us then, you'll also get to hear the winner of our giveaway. We're extending the giveaway. Yes. Because we have a special episode and we're like, why don't we just extend it? And then it gives our listeners more opportunity to tell their friends and to go enter the giveaway. It's on our Instagram and I think on our Facebook page. Facebook, yep. Facebook you can enter Instagram. the giveaway under either post. In that way. Absolutely. So remember, if you rate us on Apple, especially, yes, please let us know. I saw some ratings and we have no idea who you are because they don't take your name. So if you yes. rate us, let us know. Even if you leave a review, but your username for that review is different than your actual name, let, let us, us know because that earns you an entry. Absolutely. As well as tag your friends, tell your friends. Yeah. Read all the rules, though. Yes. It's a lot to it, talk about now. Everything is outlined <laughs> on the post. Yes. And we're super excited to bring you a Halloween special. Absolutely. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah. Let's get into the case. Sounds good. I'm great. I switched it up on you. (laughs) You did. You started talking first. (laughs) I'm Savannah. I'm Alicia. This is Burden of Proof. All right. I'm so excited. We just did. We just recorded our Halloween episode. Yeah. And I loved it so much. I'm so excited. Me too. I'm like in a super good mood to start this case. I just needed a second. Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. So. You were just telling me that you know nothing about our case today. I have never heard of it. Yeah. So what caught my attention is that it takes place in actually two areas of Ohio where I'm from. And one of the cities is where I was born and then actually lived in right before I left Ohio. And the other is the town where I graduated from high school. So I was like, oh, look at that. I know all these It's nice and close to home. Yeah. So I was pretty excited. All right, so our case today is about Scott Perk, which is an interesting name, but it's P-U-R-K, okay. not Perk, like Perky. Central Perk from Friends. That's what yeah. I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, but, oh, he's a real piece of work. You're going to oh, love joy. him. You're going to love him. All right, so we're going to start out one night in March of 2009. Okay. Okay. Emergency services receive a call from a 16-year-old girl stating that her family home in Stowe, Ohio, was on fire. (gasps) She says that the family escaped the house before it was engulfed in flames. And then her father grabs the phone and tells the operator that he doesn't understand the entire front of the house is engulfed in flames and that an explosion woke him up and he barely managed to get everyone out. 
It's a lot of drama for a 911 call. Normally, like, they're dramatic, but they're not descriptive. Yeah. Because you're frantic. Well, this is Scott Perk. Okay. The father. Firefighters immediately call Stowe Police Department because they could smell gasoline as soon as they arrived. Hmm. Suspicious. Yeah. The fire inspection re- revealed that someone had poured gasoline all across the home and onto the top of the gas meter. Oh, wow. Detectives question Scott as to who might want to harm his family, and he tells them no one. But because it's a cold night, mm-hmm. Ohio- Northeast Ohio in-, in March is still pretty yeah. cold. Like, oftentimes, it'll even still be snowing. It's a wee bit nipply. Yeah, so they have him in one of the detectives' car talking with him, and he gets very chatty. He openly tells detectives that he's fallen on hard times, having lost his job, and things have not been going well. He also goes into the details that his wife and him are both swingers. They have an open marriage. And that she was out until 1 a.m. with their son's martial arts instructor. Oh, my God. Of all people to swing with, but the the taekwondo instructor. Yeah. Your kids, like, no. There should be a line. Whatever. whatever. (laughs) Just don't. I just think it's, did he wear his gi? (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to shut up. Those are details I do not want to so, know. Yeah, we need to change the subject because anyway, I'm going to make a joke even, that I shouldn't make. He even tells the police <laughs> that they were out. She was out until 1 a.m., but she brought him home the leftovers from her dinner <laughs> that she had while hey, out with the... That's a perk. Like... <laughs> I just finger so gun. so funny. I just finger gun. <laughs> I don't know what he's complaining about. So... Scott, detectives are like, okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, how does this pertain to the arson? <laughs> don't know what this has to do with anything, but okay. Glad your um, wife is satisfied, I guess. Like, you could have just said she was out with a friend. Yeah. I mean, granted, if they then say who, yeah. but he was very open. Like, detectives oh, describe this as like, no, he was, we didn't even have to ask him questions. Like, he just kept talking. <laughs> So he starts giving them even more information about things that they're not asking about, including the death of his first wife, who died in 1985 while nine months pregnant from an apparent suicide. And he goes on to tell them how he had been a famous burglar known as the ninja burglar. (laughs) So his wife has a thing. She has a type. It's like, (laughs) it's, it's ninjas. Ninjas and martial arts <laughs> teachers. Yeah, apparently. Does do you think it's the outfit that gets that she likes? Because ninjas wear a similar outfit yeah. to a martial arts instructor. Yeah. Could be. Could be. That's she, I he was I, known as the bur- the ninja the ninja burglar. The ninja burglar. Which we'll, we'll talk we'll talk more about that <laughs> in a bit. Oh Lord. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. the more he talks, of course, the more detectives <laughs> suspect him. He even told them that he was heavily in debt and admitted that he recently took a video of everything in the home for insurance purposes in case of a fire. 
he's how and why he, are you so dumb? He tells them detail that an insurance payout would clear all but seventy thousand dollars of his debt. So he's like all in but debt, seventy thousand. Yeah, that yeah. is bad. Yeah, he's like really in debt. Scott continues to explain that he and his son were planning a road trip to visit family in North Carolina. He's running. So they look in the van and they don't find typical items packed for a brief vacation or just a road trip. Rather, they find old photo albums, family recipes, and other sentimental items, to which Scott could offer no explanation. (laughs) I travel with Nona's recipe box everywhere I go. (laughs) It's attached to me. Everywhere. Because I am really afraid of house fires. <laughs> it is a secret recipe. Somebody's going to... The ninja burglar might steal it. Except I he am the ninja, ninja burglar. burglar. I'm having a bit of a crisis. I, I was the ninja burglar. <laughs> therefore, I know Burglars. that people might break in, as burglarize my home, and steal... Known as meatball recipe. Known as meatball. Hey, I, as the ninja yeah. burglar stole several family recipes <laughs> there are several bakeries around here who are now worthless but i can make their brownies yep <laughs> i i would so i would fight a burglar over my brownie recipe oh i would fight a burglar over your brownie <laughs> recipe absolutely she makes the best brownies you guys so the investigation begins what investigation is needed he had well, taken all of the valuables from the house. Yeah. And clearly this is arson. Yeah. But they still, you know, they have a process. So oh my detectives gosh. begin digging into the evidence and they notice that they can hear someone whispering in between the talking on the 911 call. And they come to realize that it is Scott Perk saying, oh, God, you forgot the ferret. Not, <laughs> not in a panicked tone like he was realizing their beloved pet was dead, but rather like he forgot something on a shopping list. Like, yeah, just, oh, God, you forgot the parrot. <laughs> the parrot. The <laughs> ferret. The ferret. You forgot I the mean, ferret. In his defense, a lot of parents don't love their kid's parrot. Their kid's ferret. Is it a ferret? It's, it's a, a ferret. ferret. Okay. I accidentally said parrot. <laughs> okay it's a ferret um that is so funny (laughs) okay i forgot the ferret so between all of scott's admissions and the red flag of the whispering on the 911 call detectives decide to pursue a dual investigation into both the arson and his first wife's death i think that's fair The Stowe detective contacts the Akron Police Department to discuss the reopening of Margaret, or Meg, as she went by, Perk's death. And fortunately, the Akron Police agree to give the detective a copy of the file. Yeah, what do they have to say? Why? Why why would they say no? Well, they could have said no. I mean, because... He explains when he's being interviewed for, like, the documentary. Oh, it was a Dateline episode. Okay. That's what it was. It wasn't a documentary exactly, but it was a Dateline mm-hmm. episode that I watched. He explains that 
whenever you're an investigator or a detective and you're calling another police force to say like, hey, I know you closed this case, you know, Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, but like, I'd like to look back into it. It's a sensitive topic because you don't want them offended as if you're saying that they didn't do a good job. Yeah. You didn't do your job. I get that. Okay. And in all actuality, yeah, we'll get into the details, but in all actuality, like the police suspected him in her death, but it had more so to do with like the the cause of death that the coroner listed as to, you know, why they had to close the case and, but we'll get into it. Okay. So according to the report that they gave the the case file mm-hmm. that they gave the Stowe detective. Uh, Scott told police that the morning of March 18th, 1985, Meg wasn't feeling well and was supposed to go to the doctors. While he was take Scott was taking a bath, Meg supposedly walked past the bathroom. And when Scott got out of the bath five minutes later, he saw that Meg had hung herself in their stairwell. They had an apartment, but it was like a two- story so she had literally walked past the bathroom in the hallway went just i can't imagine it's very big i saw the footage of them trying to reenact it it. and so it wouldn't have been probably very far down the hallway it's not like she was like in a mansion you know but he didn't hear anything and then when he just gets out of the bath he he realizes oh my god she's hung herself off this railing of the stairwell okay because it's like a open railing at the top Mm -hmm. and then you turn and go down the stairs so yeah it was over that railing okay scott claims that he then cuts the rope and attempts cpr on meg and then called 911 meg's unborn son died that day she died 24 hours later much of the evidence from the scene had been destroyed years ago at this point um, because it had been ruled a suicide. Mm-hmm. So the the new detectives didn't have much to work with. Still, it bothered him. Like, nothing about yeah. Scott's story seemed credible. And dete- those detectives say, like, most women do not carry a baby to full term and then kill themselves nor do suicide victims often commit the act of suicide with somebody right there. Yeah, they it don't doesn't want to be sense. caught. They yeah. don't want to be found too soon. They don't want to be stopped. So it just mm-hmm. wasn't adding up. And did she have like a history of mental health issues? Well, okay. we'll get into I'll that. I'll stop asking yeah. questions. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you're fine, but we do get into that. Even the Akron police at the time had their doubts about Scott's story, but they didn't have enough other, or they didn't think that they had enough evidence to challenge the autopsy done by the coroner who ruled it a suicide. But when the new detectives look at the autopsy photos, because those are the only photos they had, the crime scene photos had been destroyed, but they had the autopsy photos. When they look at them, they notice something unusual. They notice the marks on Meg's neck resembled the lines of a belt more so than a rope. 
some of the tips coming in from people who knew Scott and his second wife, like as they're, because they've, mm-hmm. obviously they're openly investigating the arson and people know this. So the Stowe Police Department and Fire Department are getting calls from people who know them currently yeah. in 2009. And many of them start to show a pattern like what they're telling police starts to show a pattern that Scott has told multiple different stories about how his first wife died so like some people he's saying yeah it was a suicide some people he would like just totally say something completely outlandish Mm -hmm. and different so they start to dig into Scott and Meg's lives prior to Mm -hmm. her death And they find that though a friend of Meg and Scott's says that he treated Meg the way one would expect with, you know, like when meeting somebody for the first time, when they first start dating and they're hanging out with friends, this friend says, oh, he was he was lovely to her. He was so kind and he was a gentleman and he, you know, he treated her. He did all the things that you would expect a boyfriend to do. But Meg's family never approved of their relationship. Oh, okay. They did not accept him. They actually got married and did not invite her family because Mm. her family did not approve. Now, your question about her mental health Mm -hmm. and past. Meg actually did have a history of potential suicide attempts. The reason that I say potential is that she never really carried through with them. Mm -hmm. So how serious she really was. And it was like when she was a teenager. Okay. But everyone in Meg's life stood firm in their belief that Meg was excited to be a mother and that at that point in her life, she never would have killed herself. Okay. Police also found a letter in the apartment that she had written to her grandmother just days before her death expressing how excited she was to become a mother. But on the contrary, Scott had provided a poem that Meg wrote implying that it was evidence that she was depressed and going to kill herself. Meg's family then disputes that poem, or the insinuation that that's what the poem was, telling police that she had actually written that poem years ago. Oh. When she was having depression as a teenager. Okay. Regardless of all of this, the coroner at the time deemed it a suicide and the investigation was over. Okay. So, a little while later, the ninja burglar... Oh my gosh. ...became known in Stowe and the surrounding areas for wearing black head-to-toe Carrying nunchucks and throwing stars. Oh, you're joking. Oh, you're kidding. Please look oh, me I'm, in my eyes and I tell me not, that you're not I'm kidding. I'm not joking at all. He literally oh. carried nunchucks and throwing stars. Oh, he would break into gosh. homes, businesses, and cars. But. Did he leave a ninja star? People were. He may have. I don't know. How do you know this was the ninja burglar? I found this in my so, car. <laughs> a ninja star. The reason people were so scared was because he became known for actually entering into their bedrooms as they slept. Oh. And he would, like, watch them sleep for 
minutes and then he would take things from their nightstands as they slept. How did they know that he was watching them? I think that's one of the things like he confessed oh. like once he was caught. Oh, yeah, because so once he's caught, he confesses, but then he blames his criminal behavior on being messed up after his wife's death. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we all cope in different ways, I guess. Like <laughs> that, that seems logical. Yeah. So my wife died. My wife died possibly by suicide. I must now become the ninja burglar. <laughs> logical chain of events. Um, dead wife. Burgle some houses. Watch people while they sleep. It'll yeah. heal you. <laughs> Don't all, go to therapy. We all have our own journey yeah. of healing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Everybody, if you need help, please find a licensed yeah. social worker or a therapist. It'll change your life. It will help you. Please don't become the ninja burglar. <laughs> so Scott spends six years in prison for the burglaries. And during that time... He earned his degree in, of all things, criminal justice. Okay. He's trying, to, he's trying to get on the other side so he can burgle some more. Or he's just trying to learn how to get away with stuff. Yeah. So, the investigation continues on both her death and the fire. Okay. Okay. When there's... A second fire in 2010, just a year later. A second fire that takes place in Stowe. And one that is eerily similar to the Perks House fire. The duplex was just about a block away from the Perks home. Amy Salvaggio was at her boyfriend's house when she received a call from her neighbor who told her that their duplex is on fire. The first question police asked her when she arrived is, who would want to kill you? Yeah, and that's a logical question. Your duplex is on fire. Who's coming for you? And it was her side that yeah. the bulk of the fire was That's on. where it started. And she had absolutely no idea. The woman who lived on the other side of the duplex also had no idea. Like, what why, was going like on? who yeah. would want to harm us? They even checked out the owner of the property and found no evidence that they would have any reason to commit the arson, like, mm -hmm. you know, insurance fraud or anything like that. The fire had all the same elements as the Perks fire. Gasoline poured along the foundation in a trail to the gas meter, which had been tampered with and was leaking. Detectives knew it had to be Scott Perk, and were convinced it was his way of trying to make them believe that there was another arsonist in that neighborhood. Yeah. Because the Perks had moved to the other side of town in an apartment complex. The detectives immediately went to the apartment complex, and despite it being the middle of the night, on a cold March night, Scott's car was warm. 
and it reeked of gasoline. Oh, my God. As soon as they enter the apartment, there's a a gas can sitting right inside the door and a pair of boots with fresh mud on them. You can't fix stupid. They still have, they, of course, have a strong circumstantial case. But that's still no, not direct and definitive evidence connecting Scott. So they can't get him quite yet. So now we're in the summer of 2011. The Stowe detectives, uh, he takes his request to exhume Meg Perk's body to the Summit County prosecutor. Mm -hmm. Once it was confirmed that Meg's family supported the exhumation, the prosecutor's office requested the court order it to be done. While that was being processed, Scott Perk was indicted for both of the arsons in Stowe, Ohio. Detectives arrived at Scott's apartment complex and wait for him to come home. Mm -hmm. When they arrest him and search his van, they find evidence that he may have been preparing to take off. He knew they were coming for him. He had a cooler of drinks and snacks, and his cell phone battery had been removed, which they believe he did so they couldn't track him. Once Scott was in custody... Detectives inform him that they are exhuming Meg's body and reopening the case. And they say he looked like he just saw a ghost. Oh, my gosh. Once Meg's body was exhumed, they find that the embalming done to her had been done so well that they could still see the marks on her neck. Shout out to the embalmer. Yes. They find that the marks not only went around her neck, but down her back. And they were clearly not made from a rope. No. The medical examiner determined that the marks are from a belt that someone had used to strangle Meg in a downward motion. Yeah, I can see exactly like you're down because it's Mm -hmm. down the back. You can see that the back of the belt would be down her back. They also found a bruise on her lower back where they believe he used his knee to pin her down. Oh, my gosh. She's nine months pregnant with your baby. Mm-hmm. Now, I, w- I do want to point out, they point this out in the Dateline um, special, that back in 1985 when the murder happened, there was a coroner. Like, Akron had a coroner, not a medical examiner. Okay. That's key. What is the difference? So I don't think that coroners are trained in the same manner. And specifically when it comes to like forensic science and like how to tell the difference of those things. Whereas a medical examiner is trained like a doctor, but they are also trained in the forensics of stuff. I fact checked you. You're right. Yes. Foreigner is not a, usually not a physician and is not trained in medicine. A forensic medical or forensic science examiner is required to be a physician certified by the American Board of Pathology in the medical specialty of forensic pathology. Okay. That is important. It is because, you know, it's easy to point the fingers at, like, how did they miss this in 1985? That's why. That's why. Yeah. And that's why most places have medical examiners today and we don't just use coroners anymore. So... 
Yes, that's him. <laughs> She's looking up his picture. I gotta know what he looks like. Not what uh, I was expecting at all. No. Why was I picturing like a Michael Scott? Oh, no. No, no this is way worse. No. Yeah. All right. So detectives also get access to not their specific apartment, but they get access to the apartments that Meg and Scott lived in back in 1985. And they're still laid out the same. You know, all the apartments are laid out the same. So yep. they get access to an empty, a vacant apartment there. And they reenact the story just as Scott had told them using a dummy and rope and all of that on the stairwell and it doesn't add up because to based on the records that they have from 1985 Mm -hmm. yes they did not have they no longer had the pictures but there was never any mention of the railing itself Mm -hmm. having any marks or indentations from her hanging there yeah, she's pregnant. She's not, I mean, you're heavy she's when you're pregnant. Not, yeah, she's not going to be. But they it used a dummy. And I don't even think they used, actually, now that I'm recalling, like they showed footage of it. It didn't even look like a full dummy. Like it was just the torso. It was like the ones oh, that you use. like for a CPR. Yeah. Okay. So they found clear marks on the railing of the weight of the dummy hanging. But you're telling me you hung a nine-month pregnant woman? And there, was and no there were mark? no marks? Or any record of a mark, at least? So, detectives also attempted to recreate the ligature marks on Meg's neck with different types of rope and found nothing that matched. Yeah, because it's a belt. <laughs> the only match they got was when using a belt. Scott pleaded guilty to both arsons and received a maximum sentence of 28 years. And then it wasn't until November 2015 that he stood trial for Meg's murder. Thanks to Meg's body being in such good condition and the much improved process of the medical examiner... Uh, the prosecution had several key details that locked their otherwise largely circumstantial case. Not only did they determine Meg died by strangulation, they even matched the threading on the edges of the ligature marks to that of a belt. Yeah, because he killed her with a belt. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> it was a belt. Scott's Scott's defense was simply that Meg had a history of suicidal thoughts and attempts and that the prosecution's prosecution's case was circumstantial. After just a six-day trial, the jury found Scott guilty on one count of murder and one count of tampering with evidence, and he was sentenced to 18 years to life to be served consecutively with his arson sentence. 18 years is not a lot. Why? And did they ever? Did know. he ever say why he killed her? I guess if he pled no, not guilty, he, he would never he, say why. No, he still, yeah, he still says no. Kate committed suicide. Okay, so then in 2017, Scott appeals, raising four errors. The first, he claims that the 28-year delay between Meg's death and his indictment deprived him of due process. What? <laughs> How? 
Uh, Does he, he know what due he, process means? He argues that because of the delay, he was prejudiced without much of the original evidence from the scene, including the rope the knife, and the knife he used to cut her down, the original photos, hospital records, etc. The defense counsel had motioned to dismiss the case for this reason just four days before the trial was to start. Four days before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real strong case on that. Exactly. The prosecution challenged the motion as untimely, mm-hmm. but the court did not deny. Instead, the court heard arguments on the motion mm-hmm. at the start of the trial and then denied the motion. So they were fair. Yes. In the second error of his appeal, Scott argues that he was denied a fair trial because the state was allowed to introduce expert witness testimony that was based on, quote, unreliable experiments. I'm a... The dummy? The dummy, the reenactment, the testing of, like, the different ropes versus belts, straps, I mean, et cetera. Okay. Scott argues in the third error that the state withheld potentially exculpatory evidence from defense counsel. So, for anybody who doesn't know, exculpatory evidence is that which is favorable to the defendant. So, okay, so he's saying they withheld evidence that made him. That could have helped him. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, Scott argues on the fourth error that his convictions are against the manifest weight of the evidence. So, if you don't know what that means... I don't know what that means. (laughs) Against manifest weight of the evidence is an evidentiary standard that allows the judge to set aside a jury's decision when it is unsupported by credible evidence, based upon false evidence, or there is some improper motive, bias, or feelings and would result in a miscarriage of justice. So, basically, it's just giving... You know, if the judge feels like the jury is biased or, you know. Yeah, convicted is based off convicting of Convicting him based on, but, like, it probably has to be pretty severe. Like, pretty, yeah. pretty severe. I mean, I, we're, I'm working on Casey Anthony. I could see that happening in the Casey Anthony case. Yeah. But. So, the court sustained the appeal on the first error. Because the trial court neglected to properly apply the necessary test from the case State versus Luck to determine if there would be prejudice when hearing the arguments from the motion to dismiss. Instead, the trial court focused on, quote, fundamental unfairness and denied the motion citing the new evidence. Okay, so break that down a little bit more. Okay, so basically... The trial court was supposed to use this the state versus luck. They used like a whole process to mm-hmm. determine if the defendant, if there would be prejudice against the defendant. Okay. They didn't really do that. They didn't go through the process of that, essentially. Instead, they just dismissed the motion to dismiss based on, no, there won't be a fundamental unfairness here yeah. because the state has new evidence. Okay. Because basically the defendant is saying, well, they should have never been allowed to bring this back to trial to indict me because it's been 28 years. So I didn't get due process since he was never tried. Like if he yeah. had been tried before and then, you know, that's a whole different story, but 
He had never been arrested, never indicted before because it was ruled yeah. a suicide. But the trial court just jumped into like, no, there's new evidence. So yeah, yeah it's so- totally okay that they did this. So the appellate court says, yeah, the trial court should have used that standard of testing. Then, of course, that means they reverse and remand for further proceedings. So basically, they just throw it back to the trial court and say, you need to do this test, you know, the standard test. But they decline to address any of his other arguments because they're like, well, until they do this testing. Yeah, none of this matters. None of this stuff matters. It's premature. So in April of 2018, the Summit County Court of Common Pleas once again heard oral arguments and applied the two-pronged burden-shifting test from the state versus luck. This time, the court determined that while Scott did suffer prejudice due to the delay in indictment and missing evidence, the second part of the test is basically whether the state had justifiable reason for the delay. Of course they did. Yeah, it was ruled a suicide. (laughs) So they were like, no, we're not going to prosecute. Right. So the court confirmed that the state did not use the delay as a tactical advantage, but rather the delay was, of course, caused by the lack of evidence. And once the new evidence was discovered, you know, yes, they can move forward. So Scott's motion to dismiss was still denied. And when people ask why criminal trials take so long, this is why. Yeah. Stuff like this. So something I thought funny, I love that the judge wrote um, about how the original case was likely deemed a suicide because of the defendant's deception and evidence tampering, and then says, quote, is, defendant's motion to dismiss is hereby not well taken and shall be denied. (laughs) I just, I'm going <laughs> to deny you, but I also want you to know that I don't like this. This is dumb, and I don't like you. I have not taken this well. Yeah. You have wasted my time. This was offensive. So, Scott Perk is still in prison, and he will not be eligible for parole until 2050. Well, he looks like he might die by then, so Possibly. he doesn't look great in that picture that I showed you. No. No. So the man got away with murder and then got away with being a burglar, got away with murder, and then almost... Well, no, he didn't get away with being a burglar. Oh, he got caught for that? He got caught. He spent oh, my six apologies. years in jail. Oh, I missed that. I'm that. sorry. Yeah, he he spent... It's because we were laughing. Sorry. So we were so distracted by it being the ninja burglar. He had nunchucks. <laughs> he did. Yes. Um, and he doesn't look like a guy. No. But, I mean, you have to remember this was, like, in the 80s. He was in his 20s. Yeah. So, so fair enough. he was in better shape. So, he was a burglar. He yes. was a murderer. And he attempted to commit insurance he fraud. He was a ferret murderer. And he killed a ferret. Absolutely. What a dirtbag. No justice for the ferret, though. Just oh. for the arson and Meg's murder. Rips the ferret, man. Yeah. Well, that was a fascinating case. I mean, truly. The ninja burglar (laughs) arsonist murderer. Swinger. Swinger Scott Perk. Scott Perk. Wow. Yeah. Man, he got... Can you even imagine? Because his kids are teenagers. Oh, my God. Can you even imagine being a teenager and being like, oh, my God, I had this traumatic thing. We had a house fire. And then... 
the next thing you know, like you find out, oh, yeah, my dad's horrible. an arsonist. Although apparently, because he was whispering, they must have been in on it. Someone was in on it because he whispers, oh, God, you forgot the ferret. I don't know. Maybe not. He was Maybe talking was to just, himself like, oh, you stupid idiot. You forgot Maybe. the ferret. I just kind of assumed he was talking but to I one get, of his kids. Because when we talked about it at the beginning, that was what I thought, was that he had, he was in on it. Yeah. Like, I question if the son is in on it, but I don't know how old the son is. The yeah, only thing I, I know, know is that the daughter was 16. So I don't I don't know. I don't want to, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not pointing fingers. I just, it's just one of those, it's, like, little details yeah. that you're like, hmm, I wonder if they... Did they know this is what he was doing? In which case, it might not be so shocking. I don't know. But can you yeah. imagine if the kids knew nothing and they just think they're living like this normal suburban life? And I that's what Stowe, Ohio is where I graduated high yeah. school from. So I look back and go, what the heck? I can't even imagine if I had like been in high school. I mean, I'm way older than these kids. But if I had been in high school and one of my friends in Stowe came to me and been like, yeah, a house fire, and then the next thing I know, my dad's getting arrested for arson, and then it turns out he killed his wife, and it turns out that my mom is sleeping with my martial arts instructor. <laughs> and this is how I find my out. My life is screwed. This is a mess. <laughs> I hope that they got some therapy, because honestly, house fire is traumatic on its own. Oh, absolutely. So. Their ferret died. And the ferret. <laughs> Poor ferret. I mean, Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Well, that was a good one. Thanks for sharing. I, Absolutely. I'm out of words. <laughs> Catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Yep. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> I'm still laughing about the ninja burglar. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at burdenofproofpod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.